We are neck deep in the NFL playoffs, and you can now keep the excitement going with MyBookie's double deposit bonus. Having your initial deposit matched up to 1000 bucks is like playing every game with home field advantage. All you have to do is sign up, use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and you get your funds credited to your account instantly so you can start placing your bets at my bookie with the NFL postseason in full swing. There's no shortage of games to choose from at my bookie. And everyone knows the playoffs equals points. Best time of the year to hammer the overs. How about the bills and chiefs way over in that one time to go ahead and jump in and have some fun. My bookie is home to exclusive contests that can be used to maximize your winnings and make 2022 your best year yet. Don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to a thousand dollars by using promo code Zabe and place your bets and get ready for the intensity of championship weekend bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie today on the Zabecast, do you want to win all the time or win it all one time the eternal question in sports is again front and center the overtime fairies are screeching and boy are the bad ideas flying i've got the hammer close argument on why al michaels needs to retire and more on the meaningless game that would cost the losing team money your 30-minute dose of pure Zabe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. Thank you for downloading just me today, but I've got 10 choice cuts to get to. I'm calling this Mop-Up Monday. Because there's so much that always happens over the weekend. And we kick up a lot of mud and dust. Does that make any sense? Mud and dust at the same time? We kick up a lot of topics, Andy and I, Sunday night. And there's always oversights and errors and things that need to be cleaned up. Plus stuff I just didn't get to. And, of course, your react to our Sunday night react fresh off of the football weekend. So let's get to it. Cut one. Winning all the time versus winning it all one time. There is tension between good and great in sports. And fans like to say, you know, I'd take a single championship and you can have the rest of the winning seasons that end in heartbreak. Sort of like this third straight 13-win year for the Packers that has crashed and burned in January. That's what most fans say. They're liars, though. I'm not saying that they're complete liars, but they say that too glibly. They're like, ah, just give me one championship, and then I'll, I'll endure all the losing. There have been teams that have had pop-up championships and then have gone straight into the wilderness and have wandered and stumbled around. The Eagles are the most recent example. I don't think, well, of course you cherish the championship. The losing sucks. So it's a bit of a lie to say, just give me one good year. I don't care about all the winning. I got this fairly stock Rogers take via electronic mail following the disaster. You can send them to me at zabe at yahoo.com. This one from Kevin in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Hi, Kevin. How are you? He says, why are all of my Hall of Fame quarterbacks, except for Bart Starr, complete douche nozzles later in their careers. Let me stop you right there. Aren't you lucky enough, Kevin, to be able to say all of my Hall of Fame quarterbacks? 
Talk to a bear fan who has none. Or a giant fan, same thing. Don't say Eli's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Favre did it. Wait a minute. Is Phil, Phil Simpson not a Hall of Famer? I don't think so. Anyway, he writes, Favre did it with his retire gate and then going to play for other teams, dissing the Packers, then later playing all nice with Bart to get his name in the ring of honor. Now Rodgers, with his do-it-my-way-or-the-highway preseason, which in the very end led to one of the worst playoff performances in Green Bay history this past weekend, was Rodgers' rating of D-minus from my couch, he says. After that game, even this year's wins have a bitter taste in my mouth. I feel like I wasted the entire season. <laughs> you think you wasted the season. Talk to somebody on a six-win franchise. Pile on that with the off-field drama all year, and I have had it. I'd almost rather spend another seven or eight losing seasons than to have another year of listening to Rodgers and his selfish rhetoric. <laughs> seven or eight losing No, you do not want that. You do not want the Jay Feely crew coming to Lambeau Field to call the game. As much as we are tired of Aikman, you don't want that C team for the networks coming up to do the games because you're that bad. I don't know how old Kevin is, by the way, but my suspicion is he's under 40. Just a hunch. Instead of berating the president about COVID-19 policies last week, Rogers should have been studying film and worrying about the game rather than spouting unqualified medical advice. Oh, boy. As soon as I read that article, I knew the team was going to lose to the Niners and that would be because of a poor performance by number 12. Other pet peeves include, as much as I liked Randall Cobb all those years, he was out for weeks with an injury because he's old and not as conditioned anymore. And he didn't catch a single pass on Sunday. Good call there, Rodgers. Glad that worked out in the end for you. Second, every time he screws up on the field or the opponent makes a good play, Rodgers has this look on his face like no one can do their job right and everyone else is at fault. Not to mention that if he had a receiver fail on a play, that look is like it's never his fault. Grow up. Okay, now here Kevin is being the look police and the body language police. And the third point, for the entire year, Rodgers has had this face that looks like he is pissed at the world and an attitude that screams everyone owes him something. No one owes you anything, pal. It's like the, uh, uh, what, what do you call it, the uh, scene in Step Brothers. Uh, you you, you got to change your face, man. I, I'm just, I, I'm so sick of your face. I just want to. Just want to punch you in your face. Very, very piss me off. Anyhow, he goes on to say, put me in the camp of playing Jordan Love for a few years and wait for a real quarterback to come out of the draft and try again. Isn't there a young Manning out there? Uh, yes, Arch Manning, and he played a basketball game in high school, and it brought out football coaches like Nick Saban himself to scout Arch Manning in basketball. Not that he'll play basketball, but they just wanted to be there to make sure Arch Manning knew, hey, I'm here. We want you. Come to Alabama. That's how the game is played. By the way, Arch Manning is going to make so much fucking money in the nil rights game right now. Oh, my God. 
Now that the season is over, I have one last statement. Maybe Hub Arkish was right. Ouch. Love the show, Zabe. Keep it up, Kevin and Sheboygan. Kevin, thank you for uh, that email. I don't agree with all of it, but thank you. A lot to unpack, but let's remember this. The only guy that got out clean, legend got, that got out clean in the modern era, was Elway. That's it. Brady didn't get out clean. He had to go to Tampa. Manning didn't get out clean. He had to go to Denver. Both Breeze and Big Ben went out wheezing and wounded. Marino got slaughtered in his final game. The storybook feel-good ending almost never happens. And with Rodgers, I think that chance is gone anyway because there's not much feel-good to it. It's just otherworldly MVP-like production. And that's not, how, that's not who he is. You could lay it out to Rodgers like this. You stay, reduce your cap hit, maybe take a little less. We get a wide receiver in the draft. You grind like never before to go 11-6. and six. Still win the division, not a number one seed, and then get hot and we make a run. The blow it up crowd, they don't understand the loneliness and terror of being out there in the cold looking for a competent QB because it's been an entire generation since there is bad quarterbacking in Green Bay. By the way, I don't know if Rodgers wants to do that to take a little less, to accept the fact he's going to have to make a bunch of new guys, stars, with his brilliance and grind to go 10 or 11 wins and then hope to get hot in the playoffs. That might not be what he wants. What if Jordan Love, though, is Jalen Hurts or Daniel Jones or Sam Darnold or RG3 or Drew Locke or Mitch Trubisky? Do I need to go on and on? He might be just a guy, just a guy that you quickly find out in a year or two or maybe three, eh, Really not the guy. Anyhow, here's the odds according to an online bookmaker. Will Aaron Rodgers be on the Packers roster in week one? Yes, plus 160. No, minus 220. So the yes is still on the favored side of it, which is interesting. Um, No, no, I'm sorry. It's the other way around. Uh, The no is a two to one favorite. So you have to lay 225 to win 100. If you think he will be on the team, you can lay 100 and win 160. Will Rogers retire before week one? Yes, plus 700. So 7 to 1, good odds there. No is minus 2,000. So uh, you're laying 20 to 1 the wrong way that he would retire. The favorites to land Aaron Rodgers by hook or by crook, they don't specify trade or whatever, Broncos, Steelers, Dolphins, Eagles, Browns. One, two, three, four, five. Top five there. Then Raiders, Jets, Panthers, Saints, Titans, Giants, Seahawks, Ravens. I don't see the football team in there. I don't see the Occoquan Admirals, but okay. Will Tom Brady be on the Bucks roster in week one? Here's another side bet with Brady. Brady today talked about Giselle saying she doesn't like seeing me get hit out there. This is on his podcast with Jim Gray called Let's Go. And he said, I need to be the husband she deserves and to be the father that my kids need. That's as close as he has come to talking about retirement that we've ever heard. I don't know if it's going to happen. Will Tom Brady be on the Bucks roster in week one? Yes, minus 2,000. So people overwhelmingly think, the odds makers think there's no, there's very little chance he's leaving. No is plus 700. You might want to look at those odds after today's comments. Then there's the Sean Payton angle because Payton may be angling to leave the Saints as the going is going to be increasingly tough down there without a quarterback. Uh, 
Will the NFL change the overtime format for next year? No change, minus 175. Playoff change format only, plus 125. Regular season and playoff format, plus 350. Which brings us to cut two. The final calls don't lie. I'm hard on Al Michaels for a reason. He's bad. Oh, sure, he's a legend. I get it. And some people just like the soothing sound of his voice. Although, people were joking about how hearing Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth during the daytime, which is very rare, is like seeing your school teacher at the mall. <laughs> Anyhow, here's how properly called big-time stakes games should sound with the best announcers in the game. We'll start with Joe Buck. End of the game, Packers-Niners from Lambeau Field. Kick was down the middle and good! 49ers win it! Let's it breathe. Lays out. San Francisco is moving on with a 13 to 10 win here at Lambeau. And this crowd and that Packers team is stunned. There you go. Perfect footnote to it as well. Sounded like his voice was warbling a bit, that it was a little bit not right. I know that personally, but, and I don't get the kick was. I mean, it's in the air and he's saying was, but a pretty good call overall. Ian Eagle, who's outstanding had this call of Evan McPherson, the cocky rookie from Florida, who bragged about, well, looks like we're going to the championship game. Here was the end of Cincinnati, Tennessee. 52-yard attempt. McPherson trying to kick the Bengals into the AFC championship. Harris, the snapper. Huber will hold it. 52-yarder! Sweeps the leg, McPherson! He's got it! Boom! Cincinnati wins! What a call. They are going to the AFC Championship game for the first time since 1988. Great historical context. And now the the kicker. The Bengals' mantra has been, why not us? And they're right. Nineteen sixteen, the final. Perfect, perfect. My God, is that perfect? Put that in a textbook. It's a soundbite. It can't go on it. Okay, all right. Heckler is with me here today. Then there was the end of the game called by Jim Jim Nance. (laughs) Jim Nance in Kansas City. I thought Nance had one of his best games ever. Tony Romo is starting to blab too much. Oh, I'm nervous. Yeah. A little bit like a schoolgirl. But here was the final two plays. The, the kick by Butker. Actually, three plays. It was the catch to put him in position, the kick to send it overtime, and then the game-winning catch in, by Kelsey in the corner of the end zone. Hail Mary kicks. Got to throw it right away. Right now, someone in the middle. Down the middle. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be a 48-yard attempt. Only 48 yards. That's what it'll be. I'm so nervous. So are hundreds of thousands around the planet. The kick is good. It's going to overtime. Looking to the end zone for the win. He caught it. Ball game. Chiefs to the championship game. 
Outstanding. On point. Very good. Now we bring you to Al Michaels. 30 yards to win the game. Matt Gape boots it through. And the Rams, by the hair of their skinny teeth, teeth. What? Al, wind up winning it. Three games so far. A walk-off field goal. Yes. All three. Yes. Cooper Cup. Two gigantic plays. Four turnovers by the Rams, and Stafford almost gave it away on this drive. I mean, just listen to the deflated energy from Al Michaels there. And the skin of their skinny teeth, teeth. By the hair of their skinny teeth, teeth. By the hair of their skinny teeth, teeth. Isn't that the hair of their chinny chin chin? What a botch. You have to be ready as a play-by-play man for a big moment like that. And then and then Chris Collinsworth jumps in way too quick. And it turns into just sort of like, well, it's another Sunday night. Let's wrap it up and we'll see you next week. This is the playoffs. This is different. Wind up winning it. Three games so far. A walk-off field goal. Yes. All three. Yes. Cooper Cup. Two gigantic plays. Four turnovers by the Rams, and Stafford almost gave it away on this drive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, Al Michaels is not good. He's not on par with those other guys, and the final calls and the tape don't lie. Cut three. Pep talks. I am a fan of... Of the cringy, hey, wait a minute, that ain't a pep talk, pep talk, corporate or otherwise. Somebody tweeted this regarding the LaFleur season-ending presser in Green Bay from the movie Minions, and I thought it was funny given the fact that the Packers are, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to afford everybody they've already got on the cap here. Now... I know there have been some rumors going around that the bank, the bank is no longer funding us. Well, I am here to put those rumors to rest. To rest. They are true. They- <laughs> In terms of money, we have no money. We- <laughs> so how will we get to the moon? The answer is clear. We won't. We are doomed. Now would probably be a good time to look for other employment options. But that's it. So yeah, and, and then at that point, one of the minions comes up with his piggy bank and just dumps it out like, here, this is all I've got, take it. Somebody put a label on that of Razul Douglas because when... He was asked, well, what do you want for next year? He's like, I don't know. I mean, as long as they want me back, I guess a little bit more. His agent must have been bashing his head into the wall. Then there was the same Steve Carell in the office with the infamous, the Scranton branches closing, cringy, hey, wait a minute, that's not a pep talk, pep talk. Are you okay? Ah, great. Amazing. Best physical condition of my life. What did Jan want? Nothing. Just checking in. I can't tell you, so... 
What can't you tell me? Nothing. Pam. What difference does it make? We'll be gone in a few weeks anyway. What? What? You just said that we're gonna be Do gone. Do I have messages? Michael, what's going on? What did Jan say to you? No. What she mean to you? No, Is Rogers okay. leaving? What's going okay. on? <laughs> Listen <laughs> up, everybody. I have some news. All I can do right now is put on a brave face and go out there and be their leader. It's over. <laughs> we are screwed. <laughs> Dunder Mifflin Scranton is being shut down. Michael, uh, we shouldn't be talking about this until all the decisions have been made. You knew about this all along, didn't you? <laughs> Jan told me just a few minutes before she told you. Traitor. You are a traitor. What about us, Michael? Do we still have jobs? I don't know. Probably not. This is the worst. <laughs> and then he does the ugly cry, the overbite. <laughs> so, this has been great. So let's get back to work and do the best job that we can. Toby, I'd like to see you in my office, please. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. I don't think it's that dire, but it's going to be a hell of a challenge this offseason. Cut four. Conference championship streaks. Said yesterday on the podcast, wait a minute, is Kansas City the first one to ever go to four in a row? No, of course not. The Patriots went to a gazillion in a row, um, and teams had done it before them, but they are the first team to ever host the conference championship game four years in a row. Which brings me to this email from Dave Baru. He says, if Rodgers goes to Denver, can you imagine Mahomes, Rodgers, Herbert in the same division? I can't believe that there has been anything quite like that or close to it. On the other hand, if he goes to Pittsburgh, we'd have Rodgers, Burrow, and Jackson with Mayfield being the weak sister for now. Also, Zabe, did you see the swings in Winprob at the end of the game? Yes, I did. I saw the chart. It looked like a heart attack victim on an EKG. The Bills had a 93% chance of winning at 29-26, minute 39 to go. Then the Chiefs had a 92% chance of winning at 102 to go. Then the Bills had a 91% chance of winning with 13 seconds left. By the way, why would the Bills have a higher win prob at 29-26 with a minute 39 to go than they would at 13 seconds. That, to me, is baffling. Of course, in the Chiefs' Super Bowl run, they at one time had the following percentage chances of winning. 11.46 left second quarter. They had a 6% chance as they were down 24-0 to Houston. Yes, 24-0. Uh, 6.39 left second quarter. They had a 39% chance to win down 17-7 to Tennessee. And then 7.13 left in the fourth quarter. They had just a 5% chance down 20-10 to 10 to San Francisco. And then third and 15 at their 35. They won these games by 20, 11, and 11. So much for win probability statistics. Cut five. Attack of the fairies. Oh, my God. Enough of the overtime fairness crowd. I get it. It makes for an easy, low-hanging fruit sports radio topic. Oh, here's how I do overtime. I do this. And this is not right. Not coin flip this. Everyone's got a cute idea. They're all pretty much dumb ideas. The original overtime, which is a random coin flip you can't control, is fine by me. 
But if you want to make it a little bit less random, just give home field to the team or just give the first, the possession, first possession in overtime to whoever's the home team. There's your home field advantage. Boom. Done. This is like, you know, you say, well, what, what would you do for overtime? It's like asking a group of four people what movie to rent or what restaurant they want to go to. You, you can't be a democracy on this. Everyone's going to have their own ideas. But the fair thing is what kills me. Fair? Unfair? There's nothing unfair. What would be unfair is if one team was unaware of the rules before the game began or if they changed the rules in the middle of the game. Everyone knows the rules. Here's what it is. Fair. It's not fair. This is the problem with society right now. There is this absolute obsession with a mythical fairness that has to be pursued and achieved and forced somehow. It's ridiculous. Anyway, it'd be unfair if the home team was given three times as many calls. By the way, I need to track penalties. One thing someone brought up was, how come Tyreek Hill was not called for a taunting penalty, which rightfully is now on the books? If Ed Hockley is going, if Ed Hockley, if Sean Hockley is going to give Brady a unsportsmanlike for getting in his face and yelling at him, by the way, I'd love to release, it'd be great to release the, the audio from the microphone so that people can hear Brady motherfuck a referee right to his face as if, what, what are you going to do? I'm Tom Brady. Oh, please release that audio. Anyway, some are saying, well, is it a rule or not a rule? I'm not sure if that would have undid the touchdown because it happened in the field of play. It was unbelievably ballsy to go ahead, and <laughs> the defender was actually ahead of Tyreek Hill, and he gave him the peace sign. Forget that if he's even, he's leaving. If you're even close to leading him, you're still going to be left in the dust. Doesn't really rhyme, but you get my point. Anyway, Josh Allen was great afterwards. He did not complain, which is great. Who knows about whether or not Dak or the Cowboys would have been the same gracious losers. My hunch is the answer is no. By the way, here's the numbers on overtime since they changed it, thanks to Peter King's bitching about that one year Peyton Manning didn't get, didn't get to touch the ball. Current overtime scoring rules. Implemented in 2010, uh, 2010 playoffs and 2012 regular season. Current OT rules, there have been 163 overtime games, including the playoffs. Teams that won the OT coin toss have won 52.8% of the games. That's a 53, let's round up, to 47 spread. That's 6%. That's meaningful. That's significant. It's not overwhelming. Under the current OT rules, there have been 11 overtime playoff games. Teams that won the coin flip in those 11 games are 10-1. and So it's been quite a hot run as of late for the uh, offense when they win the coin flip in overtime. I think in part because, remember, there's an urgency now to just end the game. That's one of the things. They go, well, let's make it so you have to score a touchdown so you don't just scooch into field goal range and win that way. Okay. Well, teams know we don't want to rely. If we rely on a, if we play conservative and just score a field goal, just kick a field goal, the other team gets the ball and they know they have to get a touchdown to beat us or a field goal to tie, and they're going to be more aggressive. They're going to go for it on pretty much every fourth down. 
That's a bad spot for us. I believe teams are playing more aggressively now because of the rules. So the rule has had a actual, I believe, I can't prove it, a counterintuitive opposite effect of getting both teams to be able to touch the ball once in overtime. But again, it's just a game. Overtimes are for ending the game. They're not for trying to achieve a mythical fairness that does not exist. Death to fairies. Cut six, going for it. Drew Olson and I got into an argument about going for two in the Titans-Bengals game on Saturday. Titans went for two early, and of course, they failed. And it ended up biting them late because they could have taken a one-point lead late in the game. Instead, they were tied. They ended up losing on a field goal by McPherson. Drew said that was the right move because in addition to the numbers on it, by the way, there was a penalty that moved the two-point conversion from the two to the one. I I don't know if anyone knows the statistical difference of success rate on two-point conversions from the two versus from the one when there's a penalty on uh, on the kick. They originally lined up to kick the field goal. There was a penalty, or I'm sorry, the extra point, and there was a penalty. And I said, well, if your basic strategy in math says seven is good here and we don't want to risk going for eight because it was the first touchdown of the game, why do you change that whole notion just because you're one yard closer? I don't think it's that automatic. If it was a going from the 10 to the 1, it's obviously different, but otherwise, I don't get it. Drew said it's the right move because over the long run, the math says it's the right move. And I said, ah, yes, the long run. You don't have long runs in football. Uh, Drew also said it's early in the game. Points are cheap. I'm like, what does that even mean? Points are cheap. Points are points. It's early in the game. The game is only 60 minutes. It'll be over soon. By the time they get to the fourth quarter, I'm like, hey, Drew, how's that point, that cheap point? You said, ah, we don't need this. They need it right now. The odds game works in baseball, which is Drew's background, or in blackjack because you've got a long run over which to make your money. In blackjack, you have as long as your bankroll will hold out, hours and hours and hours and hours. And in baseball, it's 162 games and hundreds of, of at-bats and whatnot. In football, though, because the outcome of a 50-50 shot are not dispersed evenly, i.e. you could have a run of 11 straight failed conversions, or you could convert 11 in a row, there's real danger because football is a 60-minute episodic brush with life or death. The game ends, and then you either live and advance or die. That's why the long run doesn't apply, long-run thinking. Now, late in the game, they kicked the extra point to tie the game, and Drew said, well, they should have gone for it because they were using the aggressive numbers strategy early. You got to stick with that. You can't mix strategies in the middle of a game. I said, you know damn well, as they scraped and clawed to tie that game, the Titans, they were not going to go for two to try to win outright. They were going to tie. Don't lose first. So there's no safety or solace in the long-run right decision in a playoff game because if you lose, you're dead. 94% chance at one point is the basic math on extra points, and it's like 50-50 on two-point conversions. I don't know. I I like the 94% chance on one point better than 50-50 at two unless it's late in the game and the two-point conversion really changes the math. Also, you might go 0-4 on two-pointers in one game and lose, 
and the next game you play, you're 4-0 and in two-pointers. Guess what? You're right at 4-4. Four and four. You're right at where the math says you should be good. But if game two is week one of the next season and the coach's been fired, and the previous game in which you went 0-4 was a playoff game and you lost and you're out as a one seed, well, there you see the difference. Also, you could have a great string of success on two-point conversions going for it all the time in games that don't matter because you're playing a lesser team and you're winning anyway. You're up 28-3. to But I digress. Am I wrong on this? If I'm wrong on this, you tell me I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. We are neck deep in the NFL playoffs, and you can now keep the excitement going with MyBookie's double deposit bonus. Having your initial deposit matched up to 1000 bucks is like playing every game with home field advantage. All you have to do is sign up, use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and you get your funds credited to your account instantly so you can start placing your bets at my bookie with the NFL postseason in full swing. There's no shortage of games to choose from at my bookie. And everyone knows the playoffs equals points. Best time of the year to hammer the overs. How about the bills and chiefs way over in that one time to go ahead and jump in and have some fun. My bookie is home to exclusive contests that can be used to maximize your winnings and make 2022 your best year yet. Don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to a thousand dollars by using promo code Zabe and place your bets and get ready for the intensity of championship weekend. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Cut seven. Just tackle everybody repeatedly. Some of you on Twitter said, I don't know why the uh, Bills didn't just tackle all the Chiefs receivers because, you know what, sure it'd be a penalty, but give up the 5-10 yards for the 6-7 seconds it's going to take and win the game that way. Yeah, that's a great idea, except uh, it's been outlawed. Try to keep up, people. 2017, they changed the rule after the Ravens did this famously. And uh, they did it against the Saints. The Niners did it as well. Uh, Niners against the Saints. um, And the Ravens did it as well. So they changed the rule, and here's what it is. Teams will now be penalized 15 yards, and the game clock will be restored if they commit multiple fouls on the same play in an effort to manipulate the game clock. Now, there would have to be some referee discretion on was that really an intentional penalty and were they just trying to milk the clock but I think it'd be pretty easy to discern and for those that say well why don't you just tackle one receiver well that doesn't guarantee the play is not going to work at all so anyway I think that's uh 
All I need to say about that, they closed the loophole. It's now done. That's why you can't do it. Cut eight. Or you can fire the black guy. Whatever works for you. The NFL currently has two minority coaches out of 32. That is lower than what I think would be ideal or right for a league that is 70% black. What is the right number? I don't know. But hear me out on this. Would a strict quota be the worst thing in the world? I know quotas are very divisive and controversial. But I'm just wondering, is there a point in which we go, you know what, we got to have at least 10 minority coaches. Got to have it. Of course, then you're going to get guys hired, and there's going to be whispers of, well, you know, he wasn't the hot coach, but uh, there was only nine minority coaches, so the league needed a 10th. It wouldn't be great for the coaches. The coaches, whether they be black, white, or anything in between, should be hired on merit. But merit is such a vague, non-defined thing. I don't know how you're going to do it. You know, there have been a lot of dud coaches who happen to be black. Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles, Vance Joseph, Anthony Lynn, Romeo, my Romeo, Cronell, Raheem Morris, who was going to be like the black, uh, the next Mike Tomlin. Um, Brian Flores will get another job, I believe. Jim Caldwell, that's a name that keeps coming up. You'd think Caldwell would get another chance after the Lions fired him at 9-7 and seven and have been shit ever since. But I think the dud rate for black coaches is about the same as the dud rate for white coaches. And the argument that black guys get the worst situations are absurd. Jay likes to point this out. Oh, you get the worst teams. I'm like, Jay, any job opening is for a team that sucks. They fired their coach for a reason. Also, the argument that black coaches never get any slack to turn it around is also not entirely true. White coaches get sacked after two years all the time, sometimes even one year. The Giants have now done it three times in a row, two years and done on Ben McAdoo, 13 and 15, Fritz Shermer, 9 and 23, and Joe Judge, 10 and 23. Cut nine, cold feet. Talked about how freezing cold my feet were by the end of the game on Saturday night at Lambeau Field. Uh, this one from Andy Seelin in Milwaukee. Zabe, I was listening to your show on 97 through the game. The key to staying warm starts with your feet. It can make or break a good versus terrible time. I'm a 52-year-old avid outdoorsman, spend hours in the cold, and I keep my feet warm. And to keep my feet warm is of utmost importance. Still, it is quite a production, at least for me to do so. First, I spray my feet with antiperspirant to prevent sweaty feet. My layers start with thin wicking liner, then two pairs of heavy merino wool socks. Lastly, my high-quality winter boots are two sizes larger than my foot to create air, space, and movement for my toes. They do make heated socks out there for about 120 bucks. They last four to six hours on a charge. That could be an option for you. Of course, another option is to just stay home in comfort and save all your money. Sincerely, 1% or longtime listener, Team Reality member, Andy Seelin in Milwaukee. P.S. I love Andy and I love Jay. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of work there. 
two pairs of socks would have probably done the trick for me. That's all I needed, two pairs. And a little less time out in 10-degree weather. Finally, cut 10. Worst idea ever. I joked to Andy about this withdrawal on Monday night. No football tonight. Oof-ah. And uh, he said, yeah, there was a game once upon a time played after the championship that they derisively called the Loser Bowl. It was the NFL's third-place game. Uh, Charles Gramaglia emailed to say, Zabe, here's an SI article on the game that Andy mentioned. It has some amazing snippets in it. I'll read to, read to you from SI. At first, the NFL called it the Burt Bell Benefit Bowl after the commissioner, Burt Bell, died of a heart attack in 1959. Then it became known as the Playoff Bowl and also the Runner-Up Bowl. Players and coaches had their own names for it. By the way, this was the third-place team in both conferences. Uh, It was called the Loser's Bowl, the Toilet Bowl. Vince Lombardi famously called it a hinky-dink game. Neither the game's stats nor the result would count, so the players and coaches always asked, what's the point? We hated playing in that game, says Leroy Jordan, a Cowboy linebacker who played in three playoff bowls before finally winning a Super Bowl in 72. It didn't mean a lot. There was one silver lining, though. The game was played in Miami at the Orange Bowl, and this was before the creation of the Miami Dolphins and the AFL-NFL merger. So most of the players had never been to Miami before. It was, like a re- it was like a vacation for us, said Roman Gabriel, the quarterback of the Rams, who played in two playoff bowls in 68 and 1970. Players would go out on the town. George Allen moved his curfew, the famously hard-ass stickler George Allen, moved his curfew from 11 to to 1 a.m., but said, if you're going to drink a few extra drinks, stay at the hotel. That didn't stop, guys. But there was one catch. If a player brought his wife down, he usually had to pay for the expense himself, and the players weren't making much money off the game in the first place. If they won, they'd receive a bonus, a few hundred dollars at best. If the players lost, they would receive even less Said Dan Reeves, the Cowboys running back, may he rest in peace, who would later become a coach. We used to say, if we win, guys, at least we break even. (laughs) If we lose, we're going to lose money on this trip. After the week of partying ended and the playoff bowl finally arrived, the players said their pride took over and they gave it their all. Whether that's true or not is debatable. Of the 10 playoff bowls the NFL staged, Only five were close games and five were blowouts with an average margin of victory of 26.4 points per game. There are bad ideas, and then there are colossally bad ideas. And then there's that idea, which persisted for 10 years. Not quite as bad as a group of college all-star football players getting together in the summer before training camp to play a one-off exhibition against the defending Super Bowl champions, a team of already professional-ass grown men. That was a terrible idea. And it, too, has been mercifully killed out of existence. That is a wrap for today. Thank you for downloading and being part of the ZabeCast Nation. If you like this, spread the word. Tell a couple people. I enjoyed it, just you and me today. Tomorrow we'll have Jay on and then the usual run out of the week heading towards conference championship weekend including Mr. X who I'm sure is going to have lots to say also Gil Alexander is going to join us as is tradition on championship week 
to break down the games before it's all said and done. No Scott and Solly this week. Sorry, Carol, I know. It's too bad. I'm traveling right now. It's just not going to be up to my standards. Otherwise, we're going to have a great week. Thanks for listening. Have a great Tuesday, and we will see you next time. We are neck deep in the NFL playoffs, and you can now keep the excitement going with MyBookie's double deposit bonus. Having your initial deposit matched up to 1000 bucks is like playing every game with home field advantage. All you have to do is sign up, use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and you get your funds credited to your account instantly so you can start placing your bets at my bookie with the NFL postseason in full swing. There's no shortage of games to choose from at my bookie. And everyone knows the playoffs equals points. Best time of the year to hammer the overs. How about the bills and chiefs way over in that one time to go ahead and jump in and have some fun. My bookie is home to exclusive contests that can be used to maximize your winnings and make 2022 your best year yet. Don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to a thousand dollars by using promo code Zabe and place your bets and get ready for the intensity of championship weekend. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie.